Some of you may remember a television program called Gladiators. And um, our special guest tonight was Ace. Come and join. <laughs> so it's great to have you here. And uh, just tell everybody about... Look, I, I'm just fascinated about your, your, your background, your, your, your parents. Where, where were you brought up? I was actually born in Doncaster, so I'm a Yorkshireman at heart. Okay. Uh, but there was a recession on. My dad was a roof tiler. And uh, so we moved closer to London. We moved to Harlow in Essex. Uh, and so that's pretty much where, where I grew up. And just say a little bit more about your parents and your family. Uh, well, my dad was a very hardworking man. And he had some, he had some good little sayings that were, that were quite good. So he used to say, skills pay the bills, which I thought was pretty good. And he used to say, dirty hands means clean money. But... <laughs> that gets a clap. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I, but I, I do think that he had a bit of a hidden agenda, Nicky, in that I, I had four brothers and he said, you will all be roof tilers. So I think actually he was just looking for free labour. <laughs> <laughs> and actually the tragedy happened in your family quite early on, didn't uh, Yes, so uh, one of my brothers died. Uh, and then when that happened... Uh, how old was he when he died? Uh, so it was a cot death, so I think about one. Okay. And how old were you at the time? Uh, so I would have probably been about four... And what was the impact of you and the family of that? Uh, well, it was massive because, uh, you know, suddenly we started to lose mum and dad at the weekends. You know, mum used to say stuff to me like, God bless, and this, these sorts of things. And all of a sudden, she just really went hard-hearted. And she said, look, if there was a God, your brother wouldn't have died. So they became like atheists? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so, you know, as a, as, as a youngster growing up, I was like, well, you know, what is the purpose of life? You know, you get one life. Dad's telling me it's to work hard and play hard. But actually, I didn't see him as a happy man. We didn't have a happy family because mum and dad were then in arrested development. Because they were angry with God, they just went to the doctors. They got prescribed antidepressants, and then they literally lived for the weekend. You know, dad would work hard all week, and then the weekend would come, and mum would say, you know, my bubbles will take away my troubles. Mm. (laughs) And so we had a lot of these sayings, Mm. and they seemed to work. um, But actually, in the long run, they didn't. Mm. And you, like, what was your ambition um, well, I grew up in a celebrity culture, very much like it is, like it is now. You know, Gladiators actually was the first reality TV show, you know, yeah. in, in that any, you know, a member of the public could write in and stuff. So I was like, okay, so you get one life. If there is no God, what is the purpose of it? You know, and if you're a guy, when I was growing up, the average age was maybe 70 years. I thought, if I've just got 70 years on this planet, I want to live rich and I want to be famous. Mm. Uh, and so I started to uh, idolize Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anyone remember him? <laughs> okay, so, so Arnold Schwarzenegger was the highest paid movie star in history. In history. And as far as I could see, he'd been to the gym and lifted a lot of weights, but I didn't see a lot of acting ability there. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll go to the gym and I'll lift weights. And uh, actually, it caused a lot of tension between me and my dad because... He was like, oh, you know, you want to be a toy soldier. You're going to have no skills to pay the bills. (laughs) Another thing he used to say was, anything that consumes without producing fails. That made sense to me, because if you look to nature, you know, anything that consumes without producing fails. And so when I started consuming all the milk in the fridge and all the chickens and all the tuna, (laughs) and all my brothers were working hard, you know, out on the rooftops, and I'm just sat there trying to make myself into Arnold Schwarzenegger, my dad was like, if you don't have a job, by the time you leave school... I'm kicking you out. And he was true to his word. He kicked you out? Yes. And you, I, at one stage, you were almost homeless, weren't you? 
Well, I was officially, yeah, but I moved into the uh, YWCA in Harlow, the Young Women's Christians. And then, and then, the <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this opportunity, you applied, didn't you, for Gladiators? You wrote a letter, I think, applying for Gladiators. Um, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So back then, it was, can anyone remember that? Writing a letter, putting a stamp on it, so I had to write into the show and uh, just showing my age again here, Nikki. Um, so, yeah, wrote into the show, but I didn't say I want to be a contestant. I said I want to be a gladiator, you know, as far as I could see. That was going to be my, my stepping stone to Hollywood. And quite a lot of competition, but you got the job? Yeah, incredibly. Um, yeah, I think, the, I think the winning formula for me was to smile. So, they, if you could imagine, they put 60 bodybuilders in a room, gave us all a big stick each and said, fight. <laughs> and it was like, right, okay. But what I noticed is um, there was no controlled aggression in there. And it was, Gladiators was a uh, family television show, so I thought, well, if I can fight, but try and keep a smile on my face, maybe it'll give me a... Give me a... And they did? Yeah, and it worked. And are you, it was a huge success. You made a lot of money, became very famous. Uh, yes, yeah, overnight. I literally went from living in the YWCA, with, and I didn't have a job either, you know, Dad had kicked me out, so overnight... I went from having nothing to having everything. I couldn't believe it. You know, they, they actually sent a, a stretch Mercedes to the, uh, the Young Women's Christian Association in Harlow, and they picked me up, and then they took me to Heathrow Airport, where I met all the gladiators, and there was Wolf. Can you remember Wolf or Jet? <laughs> well, when I met Jet, she was more beautiful in real life than she was on the TV. I was like, it's incredible. And then they flew me to uh, Mauritius, with Air Mauritius, obviously, but they flew us first, uh, flew us first class, uh, and that was the, uh, apparently that was the Gladiators training camp, but it was more like a party for a whole month. It was phenomenal. <laughs> so you had all this money, suddenly you had all this money and fame and celebrity lifestyle. Uh, what did you, what, what was that like? It was absolutely phenomenal. I used to get up of a morning and pinch myself and think, wow, you know, if there's a God, he must love me. <laughs> Give me this incredible, you know. So, um, uh, but nobody taught me the, the, the paradox of pleasure. And that is that the more you get of something, the less it satisfies. And I didn't know that. I just thought, well, if I get all this stuff in my pursuit of happiness, if I get all this material stuff, that I would be content with contents. But that wasn't the case, actually. Quite quickly, um, I started to realize, actually, that I felt empty. And what was, what was surprising was that money and fame started to actually separate me from real people. So, like, my brothers sort of stopped talking to me. Not fully, but they were like, well, we can't be around you anymore because you're not Warren anymore. You're this, this ace leader of the pack. You're starting to believe this nonsense. You know, so my whole identity was in, you know, I'm bigger, stronger, I'm better than you. And I started to believe it. And so, you know, as I became conceited and as I started to think, well, you know, I was quite self-righteous as well. I'd think, well, if I'm this successful, I must be better than everybody else. And so I'd start making judgment on people's lives and stuff. And I think the other thing with celebrity culture is I really just wanted to be a celebrity for the, to have a, you know, a nice, rich life. But it never occurred to me, actually, that it's a business. Show business is a business. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's, it, and no, again, you, you know, you hear about fame and they say the trappings of fame. It actually does trap you. Like I say, it, it separates you from people. So even my personal relationships, like my, you know, my loving relationships, girlfriends and stuff... You couldn't trust anybody, you know, so it was a strange, strange situation. And like I say, all the new friends I acquired that wanted to be affiliated with Ace because Ace was successful and they wanted to know somebody off the television, I was acutely aware that they weren't really my friends, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, uh, and 
you had this, you became known as a CIP. Yes, yes. Just explain what that is. Has anyone heard of a CIP? No, okay. Oh, I'm going to enjoy telling you that. <laughs> so a VIP, very important person. A CIP is a commercially important person. So once you get on TV, it's a business. There's an agenda there. They're always selling something. So it's a bit like now with the, with the social media. You know, you show the, you show the ideal, but you don't show the real. And that's very much how it was once I became a commercially important person. But you get spoiled straight away because all the companies that are, that are selling clothes, sunglasses and cars and whatever, they start giving you everything for free. And the idea is that as you're, as you're famous and you're on TV, people are seeing you and saying, well, he's successful. He has a perfect life. I want to be like him. So being this commercially important person, you just get everything literally thrown at you. And actually, you start becoming spoiled as well. And you could ring a newspaper and sell a story? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, Nicky, for a young man, that was quite, it was quite um, challenging, really, because I found that I could just get up in the morning, make up a lie, ring up a newspaper or magazine, and sell them it. You know, you know, I could watch my dad work hard all day long and not make 80 pounds, and I could make thousands of pounds by just telling lies to newspapers or magazines. So, and the more salacious the lie or the more salacious the story, the more they're going to pay you for that. And, you know, in a celebrity culture where we celebrate these celebrities, I was thinking, this is strange. It's almost like the more corrupt I'm becoming, the more I'm being rewarded. So it was a confusing time for me. And particularly when you're in a relationship with another celebrity, and you've spoken about this publicly as well, uh, that, that, that sort of doubles it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, you're talking Katie Price. Yeah. So uh, when I met Katie Price, she was just 19. And actually, we were very simili- similar people. You know, she grew up on a council estate, working class family. So we had a lot in common. And um, with that industry as well, we had a lot of time together. But, you know, our identity was quickly... In, in our profile, so we're always trying to build our profiles up. And in the end, we're sort of selling each other down the stream as well, you know. So it was a tough time, especially when you've got emotional feelings for somebody, but you can't really trust them. So it was really, really difficult. And then it, it all came to an end when um, it, the program came to an end and you ended you up... In the relationship with Katie Price. Yeah, well, that came to an end as well. When the program ended. Yeah, but that <laughs> Funny came that. to an end. And... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And Gladiators came to an end, and you ended up then getting a job, applying, you went down to try and get a job at the, um, you applied for a job. Yep, yep. Tell tell that story about how you... (laughs) So, uh, so you know, going back to my dad's early teachings of skills pay the bills, you know, Gladiators ended, um, and then I was like, you know, this older person, and all my friends now had businesses, they were settling down with kids, they had trades behind them, they had skills to pay the bills, and I was just like this, this crusted a clown character that had turned up in some lycra, and the only skills I had really was I could hit someone with a stick, Nicky. So, so when you go to the job centre and they say, okay, what are your skills? And you say, well, I can hit somebody with a big stick. And then they say, and uh, how much would you like to earn an hour? I say, well, I'm used to £2,000 an hour. That's what we got on the show. They're like, you need to get real and get, and get yourself a trade. So uh, I listened to that, and I trained actually as a site manager. I believed that actually if I had a decent job and a nice reputation, you know, a wife, a couple of kids, that would make me happy. But, but quite quickly, actually, um, I just really started falling into the pattern that my mum and dad were. I was, I was living for the weekends. You know, I'd work hard, play hard, work all week, and then just party for the weekend and then do the same the, week, the next week. And then you did meet a wonderful person. Yes, I did. My wife, who's here today. Yeah, Yeah. Dee, why don't you come up and join us? 
Dee, come and, come and join us. So Dee, how, how did you guys first meet? Is that on? Yep. <laughs> um, so it wasn't anything romantic. It yeah. was um, a drunken night out <laughs> in a nightclub in York. <laughs> Warren was doing pantomime. Uh, at the Grand Opera House in York, and he was just um, starting the run there, and, and we met on a drunken night out. And you got married, and you've got two children, now yes. 16 and 14. Yes. 16 and 14. Yes. Um, who will be here at the 11.30 service. Uh, but, but then something happened, didn't they? You, you, were, you, were, you were on a spiritual search. Just say a little bit about the search you were on. Okay, so Dee's always uh, identified as Christian. Um, but I didn't believe, like I say, because I grew up being told there's no God. And again, in a celebrity culture, I had a preconceived idea of like, who Jesus was. He wasn't called, floated around in a dressing gown and a pair of flip-flops, crying every time he saw summer evil. I didn't want anything to do with that. But I knew, although I was fit and healthy and looked successful on the outside, inside I was spiritually empty. So I really went, you know, we live in a time of uh, new age teachings and, and all sorts of different uh, things. That you looked came. at atheism, didn't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I studied athe- atheism. I read all the books, Hitchens, Hawkins, Dawkins, all the schools, <laughs> Nicky. I read them all. I read them all. Uh, but I started to realize quite quickly that um, they're a bit, a bit of a pyramid scheme, a bit of a Ponzi scheme in that, you know, you've got Dawkins sat at the top there saying, there is no God, follow me. And meanwhile, I'm just short 20 quid where I've bought another one of his books. <laughs> And then I get to the end of it, but actually, there's no spiritual liberation. It's just a lot of wild claims about billions of years ago. You were a frog, then you was a tadpole, and then you was a monkey. I'm like, what is this? I can't check any of this stuff out. And I'm thinking, if I was a monkey, why is there still monkeys around? None of it made any sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, so... I'm searching all of this stuff and, and bless Dee because like I say she, she had morals she had a, and, and, and so she wasn't really as hungry as I was at that point but I'm sure at times you thought I was going around well, the bend didn't you? You used to really annoy me he spent a year literally a year researching things and I remember one time just finding him in the garden just staring at like the grass growing saying how amazing this grass was he went really really deep and I was just like I was like, he's lost the plot. At this point, he'd stopped working because he was on such a, a spiritual search. Um, and then one day, eventually, um, he'd started going to this men's fellowship. Sorry, um, sorry, just before you go to that, can I just explain that? Because you make it sound like I just sat in the garden <laughs> dribbling. <laughs> I hadn't actually got to that point, Nikki. So this was, this was like Buddhism or something. I can't remember which teaching it was, but it said, you are a human being. Not a human doing, so just be. So I was like, hmm. And she's like, you're not being very productive. Mode alone. <laughs> so then you got invited along. Just say what happened. What happened? Where did this invitation come from? And what, what were you invited to? So Warren was invited by our next door neighbour to go to, it was like a, a men's, a posh men's fellowship. Um, run by a very rich man so that's what intrigued him to go so that's the only reason he went he wanted to find out what was going on (laughs) so what was that what was that Warren um so yeah so uh, somebody invited me um to uh Julian Richard's house he's a like this he's a very rich man businessman that lives near me um, and I was quite intrigued to go because I heard that he had a fellowship in his garden of a Friday. And bear in mind, at this point, I've been on lots of courses, lots of talks, lots of books, all of these different things. 
Um, but, I, but again, I could st- still see my faith was in myself, the way I looked, and it was also in money, and I knew that he was super rich. So I thought, well, if he lives near me and he's invited people to his house, I'm going to go. And so I was invited there. And uh, I've got to admit, I only really went there to meet Julian, you know. And uh, I remember looking around there, and he puts on a free lunch on a Friday, and, you know, some guy's trying to serve me, give me a fork and a sausage roll. And I'm sort of looking, and um, I said, look, I'm not being funny, mate, but I'm not interested in any forks or any food. I'm trying to find this Julian fellow, and he's like, yeah, that'll be me. <laughs> and I think really, what, I think really what shocked me about that is he was, it was, he was the first person that I'd ever met that had that had, you know, relatively famous for his business teachings, but also mega wealth. But actually, I could see his identity wasn't in, in how, he look, how he looked. I don't mean that derogatory. I just mean he wasn't full of pride. And I didn't know he wasn't. Usually, when somebody's rich and famous, you know it straight away, don't you? Um, and so I was really intrigued by him. So I got to know him over a couple of weeks, and it was him, actually, that said to me, I was explaining, you know, I was confused and seeking and stuff. And he said, I'm going to prescribe two things to you he said, do you respect me as a businessman? I said, yeah, of course I do. And he said, I'm going to prescribe two things to me. Will you take them up? And I say, okay, what are they? And he says, um, number one, go on an alpha course. And I just thought, oh, another course, maybe. <laughs> but the second thing he said to me rocked me because he said, then get baptized and come back to me. And I thought, oh, no, he's a Bible basher. <laughs> and just to explain, did you do the alpha course together? We did. We eventually, um, a guy from that group invited us, um, to, which is now our church, to do Alpha. And Warren came home and said, oh, Alan's invited us on a, an Alpha course. It's a course about Christianity. And he was a bit like, and I went, oh, I'll do that. And I thought, at last, I was like, yes, because everything that he'd been sort of bringing home, all the Buddhism stuff and the, all the other stuff, I was going, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I knew it wasn't the truth, but I didn't know what the truth was in a way. Mm. Um, and I'd had sort of some Christian input from grandparents that filtered down through my mum and dad. So I, I was kind of on the right track, but I wasn't there. Mm. So when he said, oh, let's do this Alpha course, we did it together. Mm. It was brilliant. And tell us what happened to you on the course. Well, I had lots of questions, Nikki. Um, uh, but I, was, I think the main thing for me was I was confronted by the person of Jesus Christ. And I also realized nobody had actually ever explained the gospel to me. So I'd been into lots of churches, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, try and read this hymn, I don't even know what it says. And actually, I found them really boring. And, and I remember speaking to one vicar and said, well, what is it you're doing here then? And he said, hatch, match, dispatch. I'm like, what's that? He said, births, weddings, funerals. I was like, ah, like a business. And he was like, yes, a bit like a business. And so I was like, okay, I don't trust these churches. And I, and, and I sometimes use the analogy of, you know, I saw a church like a speed camera. It says it's there for your safety to help you, but really it's there to generate revenue. <laughs> and so I was really, really cynical. So I actually went into that Alpha course believing that I would be able to disprove um, you know, whatever it is they were trying, trying to sell. But like I say, when they explained the gospel to me, that I was actually separated from God, I was, I was like, hang on, if I'm cre- you're saying I'm created by a creator that loves me, but I'm separated from him. Um, and then, it's, so like I say, they started to explain it, and, and they said that it's a free gift, a free at a point of receiving it, uh, you know, and Jesus is the way to God, but he's, you know, God is love, perfect love, and, and God's a gentleman, you have to invite him in, these things started to make sense to me. Um, 
Uh, and again, through that course, because it was over 10 weeks, was having a nice meal in the evenings and stuff. But I was able, in between the course, to be able to get on a train and start checking out the evidence. You know, I'd heard before that you have to take a leap of faith. I'm not going to take a leap of faith. What if it's not true? I need to examine the evidence. So I was going to, I went to the British Museum and I checked out the... the uh... It's a nightmare. <laughs> it was... Like, it was. Honestly, it was a great time, but it was also like, oh. <laughs> well, it, well, it actually come to a bit of a crunch, Nikki, when um, we, was in, we was in the Alpha course, and um, I, I'd sort of wrapped my head around it, but I still thought it was all too good to be true, but I remember sitting in a big table, you was at one end, I was the other, there was lots of other people around, and um, the curate was stood at the table, and uh, I said to him, so let me just run this by you again. And he's like, right. I said, okay, so, so God loves me unconditionally. Yes. Okay. So I, but to be connected to him, you're gonna say. <laughs> I have to invite him in just by a simple prayer that's going to cost me nothing. He says, yes. I said, then all my sins, past, present, and future will be forgiven. Yes. Then I'll be filled with a supernatural power, the Holy Spirit. Yes. Then I'll live forever. And have abundant life now as well. And then suddenly come into my life's purpose, my calling, not my career, my calling. Yes. I'm like, right, okay. And, and I set a trap, really. I said, my wife's a Christian. And he said, yes. I said, well, you're saying that a Christian is not a religion. It means Christ comes in by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he said, yes. I said, well, there's no evidence of that in my wife. <laughs> But, but don't, you know, you, do you do have a right of reply? Well, every, it was on a Wednesday, the Alpha course, and every Wednesday, without fail, we used to get up in the morning and we used to just have this humdinger of an argument that lasted the whole way. And we used to drive to York from our village in silence until we got to the Alpha course and then we would speak to each other. And what difference has Jesus made for your marriage? <laughs> <laughs> a huge amount I don't think we'd be married if it wasn't for him <laughs> we definitely wouldn't be where we are now <laughs> well, what, was, what was really poignant for me about that moment is uh, I thought that I'd led the curate into a trap you know because as soon as I said that he said Warren and I thought he was going to say get out but he said Warren you're right and I thought yes I've won an argument and I've got a vicar on my side but he then Step forward, and he said, "So, what are you going to do about it?" And I'm like, uh, "Well, what? he said, well, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God in your heart." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, the only he said the biggest block between you and God now, then Warren, is you, isn't it?" I was like, "Yeah." He said, "Should we say a prayer?" And we said a prayer. And uh, I've got to be honest, because of all the spiritual searching I'd done, I'd read all these books, Celestine Prophecy, I'd, le- I'd read about that you transcend, you can come back as a butterfly, all these things. And so when I, was, when I thought, actually, I'm going to get this supernatural power of God coming into me when I say this prayer, Ben prayed with me at the Alpha course. And I've got to admit, it was a very simple prayer. And I opened my eyes and I thought, I'm going to be levitating very slightly. <laughs> I thought, something's going to happen. But I've got to admit, nothing happened at that point. I sort of opened my eyes and thought, oh no, <laughs> where's, where's his Holy Spirit? Um, uh, but over the next, I think, it was, I think it was the next week, Dee saw such a change in me that she was like, this prayer that you've said, I think I need to say it. <laughs> yeah, that, and the next week I said the prayer. But... And what was the change you saw? 
he stopped, well, he was a, he was a bad boy before that. He was, you couldn't trust him. And um, I always knew there was something innately good about him, but he would always manipulate his own way. Um, and he just started to change. He started to become a calmer person and he would question his behaviours. So the way he'd acted before, he stopped and he... he and I mean, the transformation is just... Well, I can't tell you how different it is. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> and how would you describe the difference? Um, well, I like to use a little analogy that I came out of the rat race into God's grace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't matter... You, you, it is a rat race out there. I found that I didn't own property. Property owned, uh, owned me. The more money I got, the more I needed. But I found that uh, I suddenly had a freedom and a joy in my life that I hadn't had before. And a, and a peace. And um, I think that comes about through purpose. You know, when you realize you're created by a creator for a purpose and you come into that calling, it's just so liberating. So, so um, I, think, I think the main thing for me is freedom. Absolute freedom. And um, I don't strive anymore. I used to strive, try and prove myself. Uh, and I don't have to do that, you know. Mm. And we're on an incredible uh, adventure. You know, I, I was in a, a prison a few months ago with the Archbishop of York. You know, and at one point I was going to prison, Nicky. Not, not to do a talk, but actually going to prison because I was corrupt. <laughs> yeah. So as I'm in there and I'm, telling, and I'm telling people about the gospel, you know, and explaining it to them, I'm like wow, this can only be the power of God because it doesn't make sense that I'm sat here with an archbishop, really. And you've been going to schools? Uh, yes, I think what was really powerful for me is, uh, you know, someone said to me that God calls us where we're at and he doesn't waste anything. So after I said that prayer and God uh, did what he said he would do and start to fill me with his Holy Spirit, um, I wondered what next, you know. But if you follow Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus and that takes a bit of a di- uh, discipline. But uh, actually, as I, as I followed him, um, and, and I took him at his word, um, he says, he says uh, you go and share the gospel with the whole of creation. Uh, and so I looked at the gladiator story, uh, and, it, and it was really significant. You know, we, we're living in 2019. That's 2019 years since the most important event in human history. God revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, in the middle of Rome in the middle of the Roman Empire, the capital of the world. And that's when the, the real, not the daft show I was on, but that's when the real gladiators were fighting because, you know, they, they had many gods in Roman times and they said, well, justice is two people. If you was a prisoner or if you did something wrong, you'd have to go into the Colosseum and fight to the death. They'd train you as a gladiator and have to fight to the death. And actually it was the arrival of Jesus that, put, that stopped the whole gladiator games. You know, he said, no, we must forgive each other. And of course it was the Romans that thought they were going to murder him. And then he turns up, few days later, and the whole Roman Empire that actually murdered him converted to Christianity, all of them, within 300 years. I just, all of these facts I'd never seen before. So you go into schools, you've got Russell Crowe's armour now. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, and, you, you, and, and you talk about the armour of God. Yes. What, is, what does it mean to say very briefly what it means to you in your own life? We'll put the passage up uh, from Ephesians, because that's the one you talk about. Just say very briefly what you'd say about each of the pieces of armour, because they may be relevant to all of us here. Okay, okay. So, so growing up and all my life, I've been wearing armour, and it never really occurred to me. I've always wanted to be accepted, and so I was lifting weights really to be accepted. So all the muscles and all the bravo was because I wanted to be a success. But God says, actually, in Ephesians, you don't have to wear all this armour. 
You don't have to wear it. You can wear the invisible armor. And he talks about, uh, he talks about the shield of faith. So that's it. You know, I don't have to carry, a, you know, I have 20-inch arms anymore to protect myself. Um, it's a, I trust in God. So when someone, somebody says to me, you're not good enough, you know, Warren, you're fat, you're ugly, you're getting old, I just laugh because I trust in God. And I say, no, no, I'm created uniquely as I am for a purpose. And there's lots of different bits of armor. You know, he says, wear your, your, your shoes are good news, the gospel shoes. And that's really what I'm doing. So every opportunity I get, you know, I speak to kids. We live in a post-truth culture. So it's such a divine privilege to go into schools and say to kids, no, there is truth. And I'm going to tell you about it, you know. Um, the sword of the spirit, you know, instead of carrying a heavy weapon, um, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Uh, and the great thing about that is instead of having to try and fight my way through life with a sword or any uh, big stick, <laughs> I can just open up God's word in the Bible and it cuts through all the, no- all the nonsense like a hot knife through, through butter. Uh, there's, the, there's, the truth, there's the belt of truth in there, which essentially means Christianity is true. Examine the evidence, you'll find that it stacks up. There's the helmet of salvation, which means, again, nothing can hurt me. When you don't fear death, it's incredibly liberating. So I have this invisible helmet of salvation, which means I'm saved, saved for a purpose. I've come into that purpose. So these things are just incredible, you know. And again, like I say, it's a real blessing bit to be able to demonstrate this stuff with the kids. But there's a bit more than that, of course. I get to have fights with the kids and all that, which is great fun, (laughs) Nicky. And Dee, how would you summarize the difference Jesus has made for you two? Oh, it's just, my life is so fulfilled now. I think, I mean, we all kind of, you know, go through life and you never feel like you quite get there. That's how I felt before. And our marriage, I mean, our marriage and our relationship, we knew we loved each other, but it wasn't, it was, it was a sham, really. It was a mess. We were a mess. We had, you know, we both had really checkered pasts. And actually, none of that matters now. And every day, it's a privilege just to get up and just enjoy what God's put before us and just fulfill the purpose that we've been given. So it's a really full life. Warren and Dee, thank you very much indeed.